I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. That's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time today. Uh, Luke chapter 10, as Paul pointed out, we're talking today about what it means to love our neighbor. And we know that when Jesus was asked the question, uh, what is the greatest commandment? We read in Mark chapter 12 that he replies, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. And he says, and the second commandment is like it. It's that you would love your neighbor as yourself. And he follows those statements up by saying, there, there's no greater commandment than these. It's those two things. The command is clear that we're to, to love the Lord our God with everything we are and with everything that we have. And we're to love our neighbors with the same intensity and the same passion that we have when it comes to loving ourselves. But the question that I want to address this morning is, who exactly is our neighbor? I mean, who is it exactly that we have this responsibility too. And we're going to have to answer that neighbor question before we can respond in obedience to this command. And I'm going to just uh, go out on a limb here and, and guess that most of us have heard the parable of the Good Samaritan. And that's what we're going to be looking at today, the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's one of the more, more popular parables of Jesus, and it actually answers the neighbor question for us. We're going to take a look at it today in Luke chapter 10, but before we do, I just want to set the scene for you a little bit, okay? We're going to be introduced to a guy in the text who's called a teacher of the law, and the reality is he's a lawyer. He's well-versed in the law. He understands the ins and the outs of it, and he comes to Jesus with a question, and he calls Jesus teacher, but he's really wanting to give the teacher a test, okay? He's, he's coming to, to make Jesus look like a fool in front of the, the crowd, and to show them that, that Jesus can't handle a tough theological question. So let's read it together, starting in verse 25. It says, On one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what's written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? And he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, you've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. So the lawyer asks what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus does what he would often do uh, when someone was trying to trap him with a question. And he takes the question, and he turns it around. And he turns the question back to the lawyer. And he asks him, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And in other words, Jesus is saying, you know, you're supposed to be the expert. You tell me. What's it say? And the lawyer answers, love the Lord your God, and and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus responds, in effect, by saying, you're right, you get an A-plus for that answer. Now go and do likewise. And why does Jesus add that, that phrase at the end, go and do likewise? Well, I think it's because Jesus knew that this lawyer was an expert in knowing, but not an expert in doing. And, and so Jesus responds to him, and he makes a point to, to, to point that out. He's saying it isn't enough just to know the right answer. You've got to actually do this. You've got to actually go and put this into practice. Your life should be different because of those commands. So verse 29, it says, but he wanted to justify himself. So this guy, the lawyer, he's feeling the heat. He's feeling the pressure. He's been put on the spot. And so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So the lawyer, he's, he's trying to defend himself and to justify himself by narrowly defining that term neighbor. Okay, and I would guess that in the lawyer's eyes, you know, he, he thinks he's already doing a pretty good job at loving his neighbor as himself. Because I think in the lawyer's eyes, 
You know, a neighbor is, is someone who looks like me and, and acts like me and talks like me. It's someone, you know, who lives in, in close proximity to me. It's someone of my same race and of my same religion. But if, but if the person doesn't live up to those, uh, you know, qualifications, then they're not my neighbor and I don't have to love them. But Jesus sees it very differently. And he explains what it means to be a true neighbor by telling a parable. In verse 30, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the, the other side. And so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And then Jesus finishes with this question to the lawyer in verse 36. He asks, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Now this parable that Jesus tells, there's more controversy in it than you and I may understand in our modern day reading of this text. There are actually some cultural tensions in this story which would have caused extreme discomfort for the people who were listening. And I want you to notice the, the cast of characters in this parable. Okay, besides the man who, who's gotten beaten and left for dead, we have three main characters. Jesus introduces us first to, to a priest. And the priest would have been known to everyone listening to, to be a man of, of supreme importance. The priest you know, had high status in the Jewish, Jewish economy. He, he was the one who offered all the sacrifices that were prescribed in the law for the people. And when people would have heard this story and would have heard that, that this was a priest, they would have known that this was a man of importance. This was a man of status. The next character we meet is a Levite. And Levites weren't quite as honored as the priests, but they were still a privileged group in Jewish society. They were responsible for the liturgy. They were responsible for protecting the temple. They had other religious duties. And so they weren't quite as high up there as the priests, but they were still understood to be an important part of Jewish society. There was still some prominence uh, about this man. And those who were listening were likely thinking, okay, I see where this is going. Jesus has introduced a priest, you know, the, the, the high point of Jewish society. He's introduced a, a Levite, someone slightly lower on the rung. Now the next, you know, common progression would be that Jesus is going to introduce a common Jewish man. It would just make sense. But the third character is actually a big surprise because Jesus, instead of introducing a common Jewish man, he introduces a Samaritan. Now, what's the big deal about, about Samaritans? Well, this is where the cultural thing comes in that maybe we don't understand by just reading the text. You have to understand that, that, that there was so much tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. In fact, I, I don't think it's too strong to say that, that the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. Why? Well, a couple of reasons. First of all, Samaritans weren't full-blooded Jews. 
They were part Israelite and part something else. You might remember if you were with us as we studied through the story when the Israelites are getting ready to take the promised land, God's leading them in. One of the things that he told them was, uh, you know, don't co-mingle with the inhabitants of the land. Well, we know that, that they didn't follow that rule. And, uh, and so the Samaritans were a direct result of the disobedience to God's command not to co-mingle with the people of the land. And so the Jews wanted nothing to do with them. Okay, secondly, um, though the Samaritans followed the same law as the Jews, they worshipped in a different place. The Jews understood that they were supposed to worship in Jerusalem. The Samaritans felt like they were supposed to worship at Mount Gerizim. And because of that, the Jews thought this was heresy. And so the the Jewish people would look at the Samaritans as half-breeds and heretics, and they wanted nothing to do with them. And the, the racial and religious contempt between these two groups was intense, and at times even became violent. So you can see that when Jesus uses a Samaritan as the hero in this story, that there would have been some tension here. But he does this to make a point. Jesus is saying, you know what, it it really doesn't matter what your title is. It doesn't matter who you are or what you know. What matters is, do you take what you know and do you put it into practice? Do you put it into action? Again, it's not a matter of knowing, it's a matter of doing. And it's something that Jesus wanted this well-educated lawyer to understand. And through this story, Jesus teaches us four qualities of what it means to be a neighbor. If you're taking notes, this is in your program. Four qualities of what it means to be a neighbor. The first is this, that a neighbor is someone who has awareness. A neighbor has awareness. If you want to be a neighbor, you have to know your neighbors. I mean, this is what we see in the parable. Both the priest and the Levite, they they cross the street to get away from this wounded man. They don't want to be aware Now, I don't know if they were just in a hurry, or maybe they had weak stomachs. They didn't like the sight of blood. You know, we're not told why. Maybe, you know, they were more concerned about what might happen to them. The reality is, as Jesus is telling this parable, there there really was a, a road that went from Jerusalem to Jericho, and it was known for being a dangerous road. Like, people got, you know, attacked and beat up and robbed on this road all of the time. And so, you know, maybe the priest and the Levite were just thinking, man, I, I don't want to become a victim, too. And so they decided just to keep on moving. We don't really know. All we know is that for whatever reason, they moved to the other side of the road. They didn't want to be aware. But before we judge too quickly, I I just want to ask the question, you know, do you ever do that? Like if you're in downtown Indianapolis and, and you see somebody sitting on the sidewalk that's maybe holding a can, do you maybe move to the other side of the road or decide to go a different way? Or maybe you see somebody, you know, standing in the middle of an intersection holding a sign. Do you, do you merge to the farthest lane just to kind of not have to be aware? I mean, I'll be honest, I've done that. I think we probably all have had, had those feelings. But that's not what the Samaritan does. The Samaritan, he sees this wounded man, he becomes aware of the need, and he acts on that awareness. Martin Luther King Jr. put it this way. He said, the first question the priest and the Levite asked was, If I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the Samaritan, he turns the question around, and he says, if I don't stop to help this man, what will happen to him? And folks, when we approach our neighbors with that kind of a question, well, well, that that changes everything, because then once we become aware of a need, like we're going to understand our our responsibility and even our, our obligation to go and to do something about it. So let me ask you, are, are you aware are you aware of the needs of your neighbors? Do you, do you know the people who live even just right around you? 
the parents of your kids' friends, the people you work with? Do you, do you make it your business to be aware of the needs that exist in your community? And, and that may sound like a, a funny thing to ask because we live in Hamilton County, right, most of us, the most affluent county in, in all of Indiana. I mean, are there really needs here? Well, you might be shocked to know what the needs really are. The population of Hamilton County is 290,000 people. And of those 290,000 people, according to Gleaner's Food Bank, almost 26,000 are food insecure. That means 9% of the people living, even in Hamilton County, can't afford three meals a day. And in 2011, 16% of Hamilton County students received free or reduced lunch. One food pantry right here in Noblesville reported a 200% increase in the number of families that it served from 2008 till 2012. And that's all right here in the wealthiest county in Indiana. And so many of us are just simply unaware of it. Maybe maybe it's because it's hard to see. It is hard to see. I mean, there's wealth all around us. And I I think that wealth kind of masks the need. But but maybe, too, if we were being brutally honest, we'd... We'd rather just cross the road and and avoid it sometimes. But a neighbor is someone who has awareness. And not only does a neighbor have awareness, but the next thing we see in the story is that a neighbor is someone who has access. A neighbor has access. Look again at verse 34. It says, He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey. He took him to an inn and took care of him. Look at the first four words of that verse again. It says he went to him. He had access to this man and he went to him. The Samaritan didn't wait. Okay, he didn't wait around to see, well, maybe somebody else will come. Maybe somebody else, you know, will be able to help this guy out. Maybe I can pawn this responsibility off on someone else. No, it says he went to him. He saw the need. He had access and he got involved. He got down in the ditch with this guy. He he probably got dirty and bloody in the process, maybe even using strips of his own garment or his own head covering to bandage this man's wounds. The text tells us that he poured oil and wine on the man's wounds, and we know that that oil was used to keep the skin supple so it wouldn't dry out and get crusty and nasty. And he used wine on the man's wounds as a disinfectant to keep it from getting infected and, and getting even worse. And we see the, the Samaritan going to great lengths to care for this man. We, the story doesn't tell us where the Samaritan had been going or you know, what kind of business that he was on. But what we do know is that where, wherever he was going, whatever he had planned for this day, he puts it all on hold. He puts his own progress on hold to, to help the man in need. He put the man on his own donkey and he took him to an inn and cared for the man himself that night. I mean, what com- compassion and and what commitment. Now, many of us, we, we probably read this story, and to, to some extent, we can, we can relate with the Good Samaritan. I mean, I would think if there was an emergency situation, you know, most of us, we would jump in and do what we needed to do. In fact, I know some stories of some of you who, who have done that very thing, where you've jumped in and, and just done what you've needed to do. You and I, we might have taken the guy to the hospital or at least waited for the ambulance to arrive, but the Samaritan, he takes it even further. He says, I'm not going to leave your side tonight. You know, I'm not going to trust your care to anyone else. I'm caring for you tonight, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure this ends well for you. That's the heart of the Good Samaritan. Francis Chan is a well-known pastor and author, and, uh, and he wrote something in his blog a while back that, 
that I felt like was so fitting for what we're talking about this morning. He talks about a young man that he served with in San Francisco named Josh. Let me just read this for you. Francis wrote, Josh is a 20-year-old guy that I serve with on Sunday afternoons. And this past Sunday, he asked me to pray for an elderly homeless woman he had befriended. She was attacked and beaten up badly the night before. I saw a picture and couldn't believe anyone would do that to a defenseless elderly woman. It's disgusting, and it's hard not to get angry when you see this kind of wickedness. Josh went back to her that night to see if she would be willing to stay at his friend's house. She didn't feel comfortable going anywhere. She obviously had some trust issues, you know, with people that she didn't know. And so Josh decided to sleep on the sidewalk near her to protect her. And he spent the past three nights sleeping on the streets to make sure nothing happens to her. Man, I, when I first read that, I sat in my office and just cried. I'm, I'm fighting tears right now. I told Paul I wasn't going to cry in this message, so I have to stay true to it. But I just get so emotional when I imagine this scene. Like, what an awesome picture of what it means to love our neighbors. And the reality is, you know, your story may look very different than Josh's. I mean, you may never find yourself in that exact same situation. But there are people who God has given you access to so that you can make a difference in their life with the love and the hope of Jesus Christ. I mean, if you're a student, let me just challenge you with this. I mean, who is it that maybe you have access to? Maybe it's that kid. Maybe it's that kid that sits all alone in the cafeteria or all alone on the bus. You know the one I'm talking about. It's the one that everybody else makes fun of. It's the kid that, that nobody else reaches out to, and he walks through life alone. And maybe, maybe God has put that kid in your life and in your path and given you access to that kid so that you can share the hope and the love of Jesus Christ with him. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom, and it seems like the only people that you have access to are a fourth of your size and a fourth of your age. But that's not really true. Like, I bet there are moms in your neighborhood who are desperate for someone to have access to them. To, to access them with love and with friendship and, and that they would be able to, to share life with someone and to understand the hope that you have in Christ. Maybe you work a full-time job and life's just busy and you move in and out of your days and it just doesn't seem like there's any room to slow down. What if, what if some of those people that you pass as you're driving or walking to work or even people in your own office are the very people who God has given you access to so that you can make a difference in their lives with the hope of Christ. I mean, who is it that God wants you to be aware of? Who is it that he's given you access to? If, if you really don't know, I, I think a great place to start would just to be to pray in your days. God, make me aware. You know, make me aware of the people that you've given me access to. Open up my eyes to this so that I can reach out and, and help them with the ability that you've given me. Because that's the third thing that we see in this text about what it means to be a neighbor. It's it's that a neighbor is someone who has ability. A neighbor has ability. Look again at verse 35. It says, The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And in this verse, we see that the good Samaritan, he made some financial sacrifices to care for this man. The text says it was two silver coins and we understand two silver coins to be about two days' wages. And what's more than that, he, he tells the innkeeper, you know, when I get back from my trip, I'll, I'll pay for any extra expenses that this man 
might have. He, he didn't just wish the man well and leave him with the bill. He gave of his own money to make sure that the man was well cared for. I love this quote from Margaret Thatcher. She once said, No one would have remembered the good Samaritan if he'd only had good intentions. He had money too. And you know, that's still true for us today. If, if all we have are good intentions, if we hear about the opportunities to give and to serve, and all we do is we say, man, that's terrible. You know, those people in the Philippines, man, that, that's awful. Those kids down in Haiti, man, they sure don't have much. That's, that's horrible. Those people lined up outside the food bank, man, life must be really hard. I wish them well. Like, what good is that? Like, that's not really doing anybody any good. Loving our neighbor is going to take some financial sacrifice. And it's not either serve or give. Instead, Jesus said a true neighbor is the one who will serve and give. But I want you to notice also that having ability is not the same as having excess, like just giving out of our overabundance. I mean, we don't know for sure that, that the, what the Good Samaritan's financial situation was, but I think it's fair to assume that, that, that this cost him something. That the burden of caring for this man, it required some sacrifice on his part. So how about us? Do, do we, the American church, have the ability? Well, let me share with you a few statistics about the American church. The total income of American churchgoers is $5.2 trillion. $5.2 trillion. That's a huge number. That's a billion dollars 5,000 times. That's a lot of money. American Christians, we make up 5% of the church worldwide, but we possess 50% of all of the, all of the wealth of the, the Christian church. And 1% of the income of the American church could lift the poorest 1 billion people in the world out of extreme poverty. So do we have the ability? Absolutely. And I'm not suggesting that giving up 1% of our income would come without sacrifice. Helping our neighbor in need, it's going to require some things of us. It's going to require some time. It's going to require some effort and some commitment. It's going to require that, that we release some of our resources. That's what we see in the Good Samaritan. He had the ability. He had resources entrusted to him by God. And he used them to help the man in need. And Jesus, he finishes this parable by giving the lawyer a, a direct charge. In verse 37, he says, or it says, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. And, and here we see the fourth, and, and I think the most important thing the text has to say about being a neighbor. It's that a neighbor is someone who takes action. Okay, a neighbor takes action. And have you noticed what all three men in the story had in common? They all saw the same man in need. Okay, they were all aware. They all had access to the man. They, they could have gone to him. And they likely all had the ability to help. They had all these things in common, but the difference was in their response. And the first two men, they passed him by. In fact, they even distanced themselves from him. They didn't want to be aware. They didn't want to have access. They didn't want to have to use their abilities to help this man. They want to ignore the situation and get out of there, you know, out of sight, out of mind. But the Samaritan, he took action. And in this parable, Jesus not only answered the question of who is my neighbor, but he also asked the question, what kind of a neighbor are you? What kind of a neighbor are you? 
You know, you may have all the qualities necessary to be a good neighbor, but without action, it adds up to nothing. Without action, we're just walking on the other side of the street, ignoring our neighbors in need. The Samaritan took action, and Jesus says to the lawyer and to you and I, go and do likewise. We have to be willing to go and do likewise here at home and all around the world. It's why Genesis Church has, has formed partnerships with places like Convoy of Hope that, that we heard about this morning. We celebrate this gift that was given to them. It's why we have partnerships with places like Last Bell Ministries in the Ukraine and Nehemiah Vision Ministries down in Haiti. It's why we partner with places like Shepherd Community down in Indianapolis and Grace Care and Good Samaritan here in Noblesville. It's why we partner with Kids Against Hunger. It's all because we understand the great responsibility that we have to loving our neighbors. And so I want to ask you this morning, how are you doing when it comes to loving your neighbor? Are you putting this into practice And we really need to honestly evaluate this because there is a danger here. There is a danger here. The danger is this, that that we would come into this place and we would feel like we were a, a part of loving our neighbors, you know, collectively, corporately, without ever taking any individual responsibility. Okay, that we could give nothing of our time, give nothing of our resources, but then come into this place on Sundays. And because we go to a church that that supports places like Convoy of Hope and these other ministries, that we could feel like, hey, we're a part of that. But really, we've taken no responsibility in it. I remember one of the times when the Lord uh, reminded me of my own personal responsibility to this. I was sitting in my office, and, and as often as the case, uh, you know, the phone rang, and, and someone on the other end was in need of help. We get these kinds of calls very frequently, people calling and needing assistance with paying a bill, people, you know, needing help securing some food. And, and so as I was listening to this person lay out what their needs were, and in my mind I was processing, okay, what could we do as a church, and what, you know, what, we can't, what can't we do as a church? It was like the Lord just said to me, you do it. Like, you take care of it. I've given you the ability. This is your neighbor. This is your responsibility. Why, why do you think that it, the church is the one that's going to do this? You do it. And so it goes back to, to Mark chapter 12, you know, where we started. It, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor. That pronoun your, it's so important in that passage. Like this is personal. This is your neighbor. Those folks in the Philippines, those are your neighbors. Those kids in Haiti, those are your neighbors, right? The folks who are going to be lined up at Good Samaritan during this holiday season, those are your neighbors, and we have a personal responsibility to these folks. And yes, we as a church want to collectively come together and to support these things, but it has to start with an understanding of our individual responsibility to loving our neighbors. And then... When we've all embraced that personal responsibility and then we come together collectively as the body of Christ, I mean, imagine, imagine the impact that we could have when we're all on the same page with this. Imagine the things that we could do for the kingdom of God when we understand our individual responsibilities and then come together collectively. There's so many opportunities all around us to love our neighbors. And so here's what I'd like to challenge you with in the coming days and in the coming weeks that you would take some tangible steps to grow in this area of loving your neighbor. And this is the, this is the challenge that we're going to put out. And, and for some of you, maybe this is just a starting point. For some of you, you're going to hear this challenge, and you're going to think, man, I'm going to do so much more than that. That's fine. But here's the challenge. Here's the starting point, that, that you would give one gift 
and two hours. Okay, it's one gift given to share the love of Christ uh, with, with a neighbor in need and two hours of service given to, to serving some folks who, who find themselves in need this holiday season. We have about 1,000 people who attend Genesis Church between our two campuses on any given weekend. And just imagine if every person at Genesis accepted the, the one gift, two-hour challenge, we could see potentially $25,000 and 2,000 hours of service given to help our neighbors in need. How awesome would that be? We're going to uh, present some ways this morning that you might be able to take advantage of this challenge. I, I want you to check out this video. Love your neighbor. What does that mean to you? How do you love your neighbor in your daily life? This holiday season, Genesis Church is partnering with two wonderful organizations to provide ways for you to put your faith into action and love your neighbor. The Carmel Campus is partnering with the O'Connor House, which is a Christian residential home that helps single pregnant women and their children improve their lives. And the Noblesville Campus is partnering with the Good Samaritan Network, which meets people in their needs and empowers them in their lives. Both campuses will be helping provide Christmas gifts and meet basic needs for families all over Hamilton County. Starting today, you can go out to the lobby and pick up a gift tag. On that tag, you will find one item which you can purchase and bring back unwrapped by December 8th. The simple act of bringing back a gift for someone in need could change your neighbor's life forever. Genesis Church, I want to challenge you to love your neighbor. It's as simple as that. And, and I want to really challenge us. I mean, let's go after this. Let's, let's do this. I mean, let's grab those gift tags on the way out today and bring back those gifts by December the 8th. But don't stop there. Let's give of our time as well. I want to ask you to take out your program real quick. And uh, on, the, on the back page of that, I guess it's kind of the, I don't know, is that the front or the back? or I don't know. But find the page that looks like this. It's in there. It's like origami or something. It says, love your neighbor at the top, and then in some blue text, it talks about James chapter 2, and below that are all kinds of opportunities that you can take advantage of to, to serve, to take advantage of this challenge of one gift in two, two hours. I just want to talk you through a couple of these real quickly. You know, uh, these gifts that you're bringing, uh, those are going to be given to Good Samaritan Ministries, and, and people who wouldn't have money to, to get gifts for their kids otherwise are going to be able to come and to get these gifts and to have a, a great Christmas with their families. But we need some help with a couple of things when it comes to that. You know, th these families, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but they line up early in the morning on the day of, of, the, um, of receiving the gifts, and it's cold. I mean, it's been really cold in the past when we've done this. And so one of our small groups here, uh, is organizing that, that we're going to brew coffee because this happens right across the street over here at the, the 4-H fairgrounds. So we're going we're gonna to brew coffee, we're going to brew hot chocolate, and we're going to shuttle it back and forth. And we're just going to love some people by warming them up, giving them some coffee and some hot chocolate to drink while they're uh, waiting in line to get some Christmas gifts for their kids. Maybe you'd want to be a part of something like that. Good Sam's also putting on a Thanksgiving dinner, and, and that's held at White River Christian Church. They could use some help in, uh, in uh, serving and preparing food. Um, T-Rock told me that one of the biggest things that they need help with is just people to come and, and to hang out with people, to make them feel welcome and to feel invited and just to sit at a table and to enjoy life with some people for a while, to get to know our neighbors. 
Um, jump down, Good Samaritan Hamilton County Christmas Outreach. They need some help, you know, setting up what's going to happen over there and, and, uh, and getting tables set up and, and all of that. Um, Good Samaritan Hamilton County Christmas Eve shut-in meal. Maybe you'd like to prepare some meals and, and to, to deliver those to some people in our community who can't get out uh, to be a part of something like that. There's so many different opportunities on here. Read through this. See which one might fit you, might fit your family, might fit your small group. And let's go after this challenge together. It's one gift, and it's two hours of service. You know, as we've been in, uh, in contact with some churches up in Kokomo, I want to suggest one other thing that you might be able to do this holiday season, the cleanup effort up there from the tornadoes that ripped through uh, last weekend has just begun. And as we've communicated with some churches up there about how we can serve and, and, and what we can do, they're really pointing all of the relief and, and all of the cleanup through two organizations. It's uh, the Kokomo Urban Outreach and the United Way of, of Howard County. And maybe this is a way that you'd like to spend some time serving uh, some neighbors right in our own backyard who find themselves in a tough spot this holiday season. You can, uh, can go online and, uh, and research those organizations uh, you can come and see me after the service. I'd be happy to give you that information as well. And folks, I want to say this too. You know, what we just showed you on the screens, what's in your program, these are only a few suggestions. And you may already know some ways to give and to, and to serve, some things that maybe your family has done before. If, you, if you've already got a plan in place, go for it. Do it. Okay? Go after it. It all counts. It doesn't have to be something that, that we've laid out for you. But here's the thing. Like one person can't do everything, but as followers of Jesus Christ, doing nothing is not an option, okay? Doing nothing is not an option. There are so many opportunities, so many ways to get involved in the story of God's love and his justice and his redemption and his mercy, so many ways to love our neighbors. And let's begin to ask the question, you know, what does it mean? What's it mean to love my neighbor today and then tomorrow and then every day after that? Let's pray together. So, Father, uh, we come to you today so thankful that you loved us, uh, that you pursued us first. Lord, that you showed us what true love is through your son, Jesus Christ, and through the sacrifice that he made. And as, as we talk about these things today, Father, we understand them within the context of a loving God who sacrificed for us and who has now called us to love and to sacrifice for others. Father, would you keep that at the forefront of our minds? God, would you just burn these things into us as we leave this place today? Lord, that we would wholeheartedly pursue loving our neighbors as ourselves. Would you grow us as a church, as your body, uh, within this, this idea and this command? God, find us faithful to it. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.